Uh, if you have your Bible, let's turn to 1 Peter. We are in chapter 2, so we finished chapter 1, several weeks, just plodding along. Now we're in chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3 this morning, stepping into this chapter. And I entitled our message this morning, Got Milk. Got Milk. You got, anybody know that reference? Got Milk? A few of you? Okay. 1 Peter, oh, I'm so sorry, LJ. Does anybody need to borrow a Bible? He already made a pass. I think most of you guys, you guys are good? Okay. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to invite you to stand as we honor the Lord, His Word. It'll help stretch your legs a little. Peter writing, of course, inspired of God's Spirit. He's in the middle of a thought, so we'll, we'll backtrack uh, as we study this portion. But he writes, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. Your translations might read a little different, but essentially it's the same. I'm reading from the New King James. He says, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed, or another translation might even be, since you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, or the Lord is good. Amen? The Lord is good. Take a moment, greet a neighbor, introduce yourself to somebody new or visiting, uh, say hello to a friend. All right, who knows the reference, Scott Milk? Who knows the reference? Raise your hand. Oh, okay, good, a good number of you, so. You might remember then, in the United States, Right, we're talking in the United States, there's a series of, of ads, TV, commercials, this promotion. Uh, I think it began with the California Milk Processing Board. That was a little tagline. Uh, and they, they were really amusing. Some were pretty entertaining. And at the, at the end of each commercial, right, just that um, tagline, got milk, that was what was asked. Um, one of my favorites was the, uh, the Milk is for Babies, the Mr. Miller one. If, if, you, if you don't know that one, you can Google it later. Don't Google it now because I'll know. Because <laughs> if you Google it now in 30 seconds, you start laughing. I'm like, okay, I already know that you. So just park that one. The other one I, I like is the, is the chocolate cookie one. Have you guys seen that one? If you remember, it's older. So I, we have it. We'll, we'll play it for you real quick. Gentlemen, our future rests on the success of this Cookie. Yes, CW. But what do we name it? How about Wafericious? Twinstone Cookie. I've got it. Chocolama. What about you, Hurley? Oreo. Hurley, you're a genius. Got milk. That's a fun one. That's a fun one. Uh, but I, f I found out, though, that it wasn't just the United States that had that type of campaign. In fact, Japan had a very similar type of campaign, uh, very funny milk commercials. And their tagline wasn't got milk. Their tagline at the end was ask milk. And so uh, here, here's one. And again, you can Google them. They're hilarious. Some of them are hilarious. But uh, here, here's just one I'll just share with you guys.
Ask Mill. <laughs> That's funny. 327 is zero. That was funny. Very creative, right, these ads. Uh, of course, in the United States, here in Japan as well. And, but the, the purpose of the ad, to drive sales, but to encourage people to drink milk, right, for them, of course, in terms of you know, making money. In these verses that we just read from verses 1 through 3, Peter, if I can say it this way, has a type of spiritual drink milk campaign that he wants to promote. His concern pastoral concern, certainly the concern of God the Father really is a concern that God has for us, and that is that, that we as his kids, we as followers of Jesus, that we would grow spiritually strong, and that we would mature in the things of the Lord. He says so in verse 2, that you may grow thereby. God has provided all that you and I need to flourish and to thrive in our faith. God has provided everything we need to experience his abundance of grace in all things. In fact, later on, Peter's going to say essentially the same thing in his second letter, the first chapter, the third verse, where he says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, through the knowledge of Christ who has called us by his own glory and goodness. God provides all that we need. Now, last week, if you were with us, as we looked at chapter 1 and verses 22 through 25, we talked about three vital gifts that God has given us to help us navigate this uh, journey that we're on as Peter's described us as sojourners, as pilgrims. And, and those gifts that we noted and we impact, we took some time to talk about them, remember, was that God has given us himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. That when we come to faith, the Spirit of Christ comes inside of us, dwells in us, empowers us, comforts us. Everything that we need, the Lord has provided through his Spirit. God then also gives us his church. Uh, we have the gift of, of one another. We're placed in this thing called the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. We're, we are his church. Jesus is the head. He is essentially our senior pastor, and we belong to him. He is our good shepherd, and yet in a new relationship with God the Father, we have a new relationship with one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and God intends that to be a good thing for us, a gift so we can encourage and spur each other on. We're also given his holy word. All scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable. It's good for you and for me to instruct us, equip us, train us, rebuke us at times, reprove us as necessary. All of it so that you and I can be thoroughly equipped for every good thing that God has for us in this life. And so he's given us his spirit. He's given us each other. He's given us the word and that's where Peter then, in a sense, focuses. Now, he has much more to say about these gifts of grace that God has given us to set us up for success, but he hones in on the word of God in these three verses. And it's in these three verses that Peter then gives us two imperatives. He directs us away from the negative, and he then uh, directs us towards the positive. 
And again, and then he tells us why, again, so that we can grow. So I draw your attention back to verse 1 as we do here at Calvary. We're going to just unpack each of these verses. In fact, we'll just take some phrases one at a time, and we'll just start with the first one, therefore. Right, we'll pause right there. If you've been in church for some time, you've heard Bible studies, you've heard other pastors and teachers tell you, when you come upon that word, therefore, you want to ask, what's it there for? And it's important. It's important for us to have context. Peter, that word is a word of transition. It's a word of conclusion. It's a word uh, that's leading us to a, a, another thought that connects us back to a previous thought. Many of you know that uh, when Peter wrote his letter, there weren't chapter numbers and chapter or verse numbers, right? It's just one continuous thought. But for us, we, we happen upon a new chapter and a new verse, but it's a continuation of his thoughts. It connects us to the previous verses, what he's been talking about. And what has Peter been talking about? Peter has been talking about two things mainly, very broad. Who we are in Christ, all that Christ has done for us, all that God has done for us, and a little bit then what we should do as a result of what God has done for us. He's made several affirmations and assertions to us, our spiritual identity, and then he's tied in some very important reminders of the reality of our new identity. Our new identity uh, we are pilgrims, we're exiles, we're sojourners. This is not our home, we're just passing through. God's given us the hope and the promise of heaven. He'll complete the good work he began in, in you to the day of Christ Jesus. He guarantees that and he guarantees it by his spirit. His spirit is given to us to be the one that sanctifies us. We're a work in progress and he works from the inside out. He reminded us, that were chosen by God. You might have been picked last in your middle school or elementary school years, but God picks you first. You're on his team. You've been elected. You've been chosen all because of God's love and mercy for you and for me. We did nothing. We bring nothing to the table. Everything because God loved you. And yet at the same time, while we are elect, we are not exempt from struggle. We're on the struggle bus. We all have tickets on the struggle bus. We suffer. We hurt. There's pain. There's problems. There's days where you want to just uh, kick your cat and, you know, call it quits. Right? That's our sin nature. God calls us to obedience. And we looked a lot at that word. It should flow out of love. We, even the reason we love God is because he first loved us. And so our obedience then is out of love because we want to, not just because we have to. And we talked about how God then cares for us as his kids. And in one area that he cares for us is he cares about how we get along, that we would love each other sincerely, that there'd be fervent love, there'd be love in action. We wouldn't just say it, but we would do these things. So he's laid all of that out. Now he says, therefore... In light of all of that that, I, that he laid out for us in chapter 1, he now brings us to some imperatives. What are we to do in response to these things? Since chapter 1 is true, 
of you, since chapter one is true for you, you've been born again to a living hope, you're redeemed, you're rescued, you're ransomed. What are we to do? Peter says, get rid of the old life junk. Get rid of, cast away our old sinful, yucky tendencies and practices. The directive's pretty plain. I'm going to just reword it a little bit. When he says that we are to lay aside in these categorical sins, we need to, God calls us to. Of course, when we talk about this, remember, it, it's, it's the Spirit who empowers us to do these things. We agree with him. Lord, yes, I want this. To expel, to jettison, to cast away, get rid of all the sinful filth from our lives. It is to take inventory and it is to purge us and purge ourselves of these things. Now, to purge ourselves of them indicates, it reminds us that they are a part of us already. It's part of our nature. We're born with these tendencies. We're born with these things. And, and we talked about the reality. We still fight against these things. We still have a sin nature that we need to reckon dead every day. We need to crucify ourselves daily and pick up our cross and follow after the Lord. Paul reminded us very vividly, very openly in Romans 7, he wrestles, he sees this battle, this MMA match happening within himself, his old nature and his new nature, and they're going at it. And that happens to us as well. We still fight against our sin nature. I've shared this with you guys before. I, my sin nature, I, I, I still have, I have to confess it and repent from it every time it happens. When I go into a bank, I have this mind like, how can I rob this place? <laughs> it's terrible. And I think, oh, it'd be much easier to do now COVID stuff, right? Everyone's wearing masks. Well, not anymore, praise the Lord. But especially during COVID, I thought I could do this. Like, what am I thinking? You know, like, it's our sin nature. And so when he says to lay aside, it, in, the, in the original Greek, it's one compound word. It essentially just means, and maybe your Bible translates it this way, cast off. It's cast down. It's, it's put off. And it has the connotation of permanency. Like you're going to take it and you're going to set it down, cast it away, jettison this thing into deep space. It's not a set it down to pick it back up again like your keys or your phone. Or It, it is put it in the garbage, uh, put it in the shredder, put it in a disposal, don't dig it out. That's the mode, that's the mindset we need to have with our sinful behaviors. Now, that same phrase is used often in the New Testament, and it's often coupled with not just take off, but also put on. And, and so it's often used as though you're taking off a garment, dirty, filthy, stinky, you know, and, and get rid of that thing. But again, not, not just to put it in the washer and wash it again and then have it, it's you, you want to think of it like dirty diapers, disposable dirty diapers. Not like the cloth ones some of you, you granola people you know, want to use, right? <laughs> this is the uh, don't rinse it, don't reuse it, 
no Tide sticks getting that stain out, right? It, think about the worst blowout in a baby. The onesie's gone, right? It's just, it's from the gap. I get it. Grandma gave it, but it's done. Just, you know, throw it away. You got to get rid of it. That's the idea. That's the mentality. But again, in, in the New Testament, it's often coupled with, it's put off, but also put on. In Ephesians, Paul says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, right? How we used to be, our BC days, put the old self off. It's being corrupted by deceitful desires. But you and I, we're being made new in the attitude of our minds. We're to put on the new self, created in the image of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And he repeats himself, therefore, we must put off. And he says, lying, falsehood, deceitful speaking. But speak truthfully to one another. Why? Because we're all members of the same family. And so he has, Paul writes to the Ephesians, very similar to what Peter is writing to us. And that same phrase shows up in the book of Hebrews. A little bit different context, but means the same thing, essentially, in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, cast off, get rid of every weight, every sin. The writer Hebrews even adds, sometimes there's things that are, there might be permissible, but it's really not best for you. Right? Sometimes good is the enemy of best. And a good thing, if it stands in the way of God thing, it's no longer a good thing. That's the idea. But certainly our sin. And how does he describe it? It so easily ensnares us, so easily entangles us. But let us run our race with endurance. Peter says we need to cast that junk off, get rid of it, not temporarily, permanently. Now, he's going to give us the positive command in verse 2. The positive direction is then to desire, pursue then the pure milk of God's word. I I want to suggest to you that in order for us to do verse 2 well, we need to do verse 1 first. Like we, We need to get rid of, confess, repent, Lay at the foot of the cross where those things belong. God is gracious and kind, right? Where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds the more. And we've talked before our spiritual soap, 1 John 1, 9. If we, when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But before we're filled with the spirit, before we're, Cultivating an appetite for the things of God, we, we got to get rid of, identify, acknowledge in truth, confess and repent of the old life that's still lingering. It needs to be dealt with. It still tempts us. It still wants to control us. Because otherwise, it is those things that will absolutely spoil our spiritual appetite. Right? It will dampen And it will dull our desire for the things of God. It'll put a weird taste in your mouth for truth. And so we we have to cast it off so that we can put on. Now, Peter identifies some 
specific sins for us to cast off. And I want to suggest to you that he, some of them are general, but they all are relational. And it ties, they are the opposite of what he just told us, how we're to love each other sincerely, love each other fervently. If we're doing these things, we can't do love purely and fervently. What are the five things that he lists here? He says, all malice, all deceit, your Bible might say guile, hypocrisy, envy, or your Bible might say jealousy. And then he just says, all evil speaking. I I, want to make four observations with you. You can note them with me as we we consider this list. First of all, notice with me that they're, they're pretty general in description. Categorical, all deceit and all malice and all evil speaking. And I want to suggest to you that by design, Peter is giving us this broad categorical behavior that he says, listen, anything that you do then, that's in the category of unbecoming, conduct unbecoming a child of God. Anything and everything in that category. All in the Greek is all. Individually and collectively. That first leading line, all malice, it's the word pos kakia. Pos kakia. When I, when I heard that, I thought, kakia, that sounds like kaka. So I thought, oh, that's kind of a good word. Kaka, it's just, that's all inclusive. That means unwholesome, right? That means yucky. That's pepe or that's kaka, right? Kaka, the, the Greek for cocoa curry. That's what that. Oh, I see. Oh, those are fighting words for some of you, huh? <laughs> Just make sure you're awake. Just make sure you're awake. And so they're, they're, they're categorical, and I think by design. Because sometimes we, we can latch on with like, oh, I, I'm not doing that, so I'm okay. Like, no, no, it, it's, it's anything within these categories. Again, as I noticed, noticed with me, number two, that these, these are sins that tend to be ones that we commit against other people. It's the exact opposite of loving one another, fervently with a pure heart. To have malice, ma- malice is the idea that you have a, you have a, a soured disposition and you don't care about how other people feel. You don't care what you do and how it impacts somebody else. And, and so you're indifferent and you're unkind. That's the idea of malice. Deceit or your Bible might translate it as guile, is just, it's like malice plus. It's not just that you're indifferent or that you're unkind. You're unkind on purpose. And so you're being, you're being crafty. You're being manipulative. You're controlling the situation for the purpose to hurt the other person. By deception and dishonesty, by spinning things, by lying. That's that word deceit. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is just you're being fake. It's another form of deception. It's being deceitful, pretending to be something that you're not or pretending to be someone that you're not. You claim one thing, you say one thing, 
Uh, but there is no equal sign between your words and who you really are, what your actions are. Envy. Lay aside envy. Envy is one of those sins that we can commit against a person, and yet sometimes that person has no idea. Right? It's inward. We're jealous. We want what they have. We think we deserve it, or we want it. That can bleed into then judgmentalism. Why did they get it? I'm better than them. It's covetousness. It's jealousy. It leads to unhappiness. It's a form of sin that says to God, what you provided me isn't enough. We harbor then bitterness and discontentment. He says, get rid of that. And then all evil speaking, categorical, things that come out of our mouth. And we spend a lot of time in the book of James, if you're with us, talking about how we can weaponize our words, right? With, with, with the word, with words, you, you can cut a person down. And some of you, some of us, right, you, you're pretty good with that weapon. You, you know how to subtly slice people just by your words. And, and the Lord would say to you and to me, uh, be careful with that weapon. Use it for an instrument to build life. Don't tear down life. Evil speaking, slander, trash talking, gossip, backbiting, filthy language. All, all of that in that, that category of evil speaking. And God would say to you and to me through Peter, jettison that, that junk. Get rid of that. That is conduct unbecoming a child of God. The, the third thing I want to note with you is that these sins tend to be progressive. One will lead to another. Begin to have animosity to somebody, malice, then all of a sudden turns into intentional. Like, oh, they hurt me or I want to hurt them. I'm going to make myself feel better. Then, then, then we're playing the hypocrite because then we're saying something, but we're not really meaning that. We're not really acting that way. It often leads into envy. Leads into slandering people. And so these are sins that tend to be progressive. And then number four, I, I want to suggest to you the idea that Peter presents to us. It, it's kind of a duality. Not only is it a permanent lay aside, but it's an active function. It's lay aside and keep laying aside. It, it's like pulling a weed from your garden and then keep pulling the weeds. Right? There, there's some things that are just perpetual until Jesus Christ comes back. Dishes and laundry. You just keep going. Right? And purging our hearts of sin. Recognizing, confessing, repenting. That, that, that happens to the day that we stand face to face with the Lord. And so there's a part of that. This is a continual process of the Spirit of God working in us, convicting us, showing our sin and saying, man, Lord, I'm a Jerk, I blew it. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? And you get rid of it. And you get rid of it. Repent and confess and repeat. That's the idea. 
And again, not just part of it, not just some of it. The idea is the entirety of it. We don't want to negotiate. We don't want to compromise. We don't keep some sin as a pet, thinking that we're okay. Paul tells the Corinthians, just a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's the little foxes that grow up to big foxes. And so there's junk in our lives. We, we, we need to confess our sins. And the beauty of this is that we simply come to the Lord over and over again. And we come to the cross of Jesus and we just confess, Lord, I blew it. I did this. I said this. I'm harboring this. And, and when we do, we acknowledge him. We're truthful with ourselves and with the Lord. God's so gracious. God forgives us. God cleanses us. God, God helps us, empowers us to rid ourselves of these things. And so the first imperative is towards, it's good, but it's towards the negative. Get rid of this. The second imperative is towards the positive. Let's pursue this. And he uses this really interesting illustration. He says, as newborn infants or as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word so that you and I can grow. Peter introduces now this illustration. And it's an interesting illustration. And his point is to highlight um, the tenacity, the, the, the type of appetite that we should have, and I'll phrase it this way, that we should cultivate as children of God for the word of God. And so it's a, a metaphor, it's a simile. Now, some of you know, I, I have four kids, they're older Three of them have already launched. The baby of our family is still here. And it's been some years, been 16, but I still remember. Actually, I remember for all my kids. Uh, I still vividly recall when they were newborns and how they cried and how I felt so inadequate and how they just had one passion in life, and that was to eat and secondary to that was to poop, but, but just to eat. And so as newborn babies, and that's, that's the word that Peter's using there, as a newborn baby, as a newborn baby, when they would cry when they're hungry, I couldn't, as I can now, you know, just give Ben some yen and go, hey, go to Family Mart, go for it. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't take him to Family Mart. I can't take them to McDonald's. Hey, you want to get a Happy Meal as a... Newborn, they needed, they desired, they longed for mama's milk. And so when they were hungry, they would let us know, right? They'd cry and they'd scream. They would do all they can in their little baby bodies to let us know. And there'd be times where I thought, well, you know, I'm going to try to comfort this kid, maybe just because they're cold or whatever. And I go to comfort and, and I knew that they're hungry because they would, you know, they... Babies don't care. They, you, they're going to turn to whatever they think they can feed. I'm like, no, no, no. That's, that's not, that's a, someone else does that function. And as a new dad, I made the mistake of like, 
put my finger in this little baby mouth. Have you ever, the sucking power of a baby? <laughs> like, it's pretty amazing, right? I mean, so much their, like their cheeks will, even to their top of their head will shrink in, right? Like how much suction a baby has. It's pretty amazing. And their appetites, these little things, their appetites are incredible voracious, constant. They don't care what time it is. You can't be like, hey, it's nighttime, go to bed. They don't care. When they're hungry, they cry, and they will keep crying until they get milk. And Peter says, like that. That mode, that method, that mindset, we should desire, we should long for. That Greek word, it's a compound Greek word. It's epipotheo. Epi means above or on top. Potheo means crave, desire, long. And so it's the idea, it's an intense craving. It's craving plus. It's, It's beyond the normal. It's a challenging question for us, though. Do we have that type of appetite for the word of God? You ever have an intense craving? Sometimes they just kind of come out of random, right? I mean, advertising works, doesn't it? I, like, I want an Oreo now, right? Yeah. <laughs> but these kind of intense cravings sometimes. Just, oh, I missed this back at home, or what I would do for just, a, I, I hate to say one right now. Anyway, so, you know, a really good carne asada burrito, right? <laughs> Sometimes our cravings are sweet things. Anybody have a sweet tooth? You usually crave sweet things. How about savory? Chips and those kind of things. Right. Anybody ever crave coffee? I don't, if I crave, I, I don't know if I crave coffee. I think I'm just addicted, so it's just, you know. <laughs> Peter, Peter says, like a baby, like a baby that craves, cries for, yearns and desires milk, we as God's kids should have that same intensity, have that same motive, have have that same drive, and that we would cultivate that. The psalmist speaks a very similar one. In Psalm 42, it says, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul longs for you or pants for you, O Lord. In Psalm 84, too, my soul yearns for, even faints for the, the house of the Lord, and my heart and my flesh cry out to the living God. I, I, I wonder for myself and I wonder for us, have we, have we ever been in that place where we crave the word of God? We long for the word of God? How do we cultivate such an appetite? Well, the first step's already been given to us. We got to stop snacking and feeding on spiritual junk food, on sinful things. We understand it in the natural. You go to somebody's house, they're maybe making a meal near the holidays, and if they put out chips and dip and, you know, hors d'oeuvres and all these other things, you know, and they're yummy, you start going for it, and all of a sudden, here's the main course. You're like, oh, I ate so much chips and salsa. We don't have as... Our appetite's not the same. And yet we do that spiritually. Often we can do that. 
feed our flesh with mindless scrolling, with unedifying social media, sinful entertainment. And that's what we then consume our mind and our heart and our soul with, and that's what we're feeding it. And then all of a sudden, uh, we, then we can't expect that we're going to want spiritual things. We're cultivating an appetite for junky things and, and, and unwholesome things. Our flesh craves that. What, what can we do then? I want to offer just real simple, it's not necessarily in the text, but just as an aside, simple things that you and I can do to cultivate a healthy appetite for the Word of God. You ready? You ready to take note and drop some great knowledge on you? Blow your brain? Here's the first one. Read it. <laughs> yep, read it. <laughs> God has designed the Word, His Word, in such a way that it's unlike any other book, right? It's supernatural. He says, I promise it will accomplish what I want it to do. He says that it's alive and it has this ability to cut away the things that don't belong and to, and to make us more sensitive to the things of God. And when we're more sensitive to the things of God, we're going to want those things of God. And so the more that we read it and discipline ourselves just to read the word of God, the more, guess what, you're going to crave it. And, and again, we, we experience that in the natural. I, I've been told, those that, who like to work out, they, you know, all of a sudden they're like, oh, I, they like it. They look for that. They, you, know, they feel, you feel weird and groggy when you don't. It's the same thing spiritually. The psalmist in Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet your words taste to me. They're sweeter than honey. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found and I ate them. And they became my joy and my heart's delight. Think about that, to delight in the word of God. And so read it. Just read it. I'd also add that we should meditate and memorize the Word of God. What does that look like? It's reading it. It's repeating it. It's thinking about it. You know, Eastern philosophy, their, their brand of meditation is empty your brain, empty your mind. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is, no, fill your brain, fill your mind with truth and good things and God's Word and, and ruminate, chew on, think through, process, the word of God over and over again. The psalmist says, his delight, the, uh, his delight is in the law. And on the law, on the word of God, I will meditate day and night. And so we read it, memorize it, meditate upon it. I'd add study it. It's kind of the next level down, just digging a little deeper. The word of God is this amazing treasure chest. We will never get to the bottom of this treasure chest. Paul writes to the Romans and he says, how unfathomable the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How, how unplumbable are his ways. I, I'd add this, not only study it, but share it. As you read the word and you're studying the word and you learn the word and you hear the word, share those truths with people. 
You find out that oftentimes they get encouraged and they, it's life-giving not only for you, but for the other person. And I have found for me, it's been a big part of my own appetite for the word of God came because other people in my life were excited about the scriptures. And because they were excited and because they studied and they learned and they shared with me, it made me excited about the things of God. We're so quick, right, to recommend, oh, we found this new place, this cafe, this little restaurant, uh, this burger joint. Like, oh, it was really yummy. And we're quick to share those things, usually not on social media because we don't want everybody else going there, right? Like half of Okinawa and I'll find our spot. (laughs) But sharing the word, that's free. It's inexhaustible. And it cultivates in us this desire, we get to realize, oh, it's life-giving, not just for us, but even for others. There's enough to partake of the goodness of God. And then lastly, I'd say really simply, as we were already told back in the book of James, it's good for us to be hearers of the word, but we need to be doers. We don't just study these things for head knowledge. We need to put them into practice. Jesus in the upper room says, my paraphrase, it's great that you know this, but blessed are you when you do it. And I think that's a great principle, just broad, I mean, certainly specific for serving, but, but for living the word of God. So those are, those are bonus points for you. He tells us why. why. Why are we to do it? Why are we to jettison? Why are we to get rid of this sin? And why should we pursue spiritual appetite? He says, so that you can grow. So that you can grow. God loves you. You're God's kid. And he wants you to grow. As plain as that. He wants you to grow in wisdom. He wants you to grow in knowledge. He wants you to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would grow in love. That we would grow in service. Remember the writer of the book of Hebrews? He had some hard things to say to his audience. And one of the things that were hard that he wrote to them, he said... And I paraphrase, hey, you guys have been walking with the Lord quite a bit now. And yet at this time, you should be teaching Sunday school. You should be sharing these things. But, but you're still in spiritual diapers. You're still drinking from a, a, a milk bottle. Now, it's, it's a similar illustration. The difference, though, is the writer Hebrews says, you're still a baby, You're still, you're in arrested development because God wants us to grow. The difference with Peter is, Peter isn't saying, uh, Peter's saying we should cultivate an appetite like a baby. But we're not to remain as babies. And it's the word of God. Reading, studying, meditating, hiding in our heart. That, that is the primary means in which we grow. And so if we, if we don't do these things, if, we, if, we fail, if I fail and you fail to cultivate an appetite for the word of God, and we fail to act upon that appetite, don't be surprised then if you are spiritually stalled. The main factor for lack of growth is that we're not in the word. 
We're not reading, we're not hearing, we're not studying, we're not... And this one verse tells us a lot. This one verse lets us know that the word of God alone is fully sufficient. We don't need anything else. Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. And just as God's design, you know, biology, amazing, right? Mom's milk to provide all that an infant baby needs to grow strong and healthy and uh, the, the vitamins, the nutrients to immunize and help this baby, you know, just be healthy and strong and, and nourish it and protect it. That's the word of God. Instructs us and nourishes us, protects us. Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone by, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the amazing thing about the scriptures, it, it's simple enough for the youngest in faith to understand, and yet rich enough and complex enough and, and solid enough for the most seasoned saint. We're told to desire the pure milk. That, that term can be expressed as uncontaminated, unaltered. We don't need to add to it, and we certainly don't want to take away from it. It's a farming term. You know, today we, we look at labels. If you're label conscious, con, label aware, <laughs> you're wanting 100% something organic. You know, you don't want any additives. You don't want any preservatives. Maybe you don't want any allergens. You just want it pure. That's how God wants us to partake of the word, just pure. In itself, it's good. That word also means reasonable or logical. It's the idea that it's not sensational. It's not absurd. It's not just mere abstractions. And yet, sadly, today, we find the spiritual appetite of believers being hijacked by by spiritual snacks and, and sensationalism and emotionalism. And, and sadly, by observation, you see churches and pastors who, who use that then as a means to attract a crowd and, 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 you know, and they want to grow then numerically wide, nickels and noses. But that's not the growth that God wants for us, right? The growth that God wants for us is deep, mature. And so you find these churches that use then entertainment and amusement as the means for attraction. You know, it's like it's just feeding people cotton candy versus having, you know, a menu, if you will, and cultivating an appetite to be edified and instructed. Spurgeon had a, man, a powerful thing. He said, there's going to be a time coming when the church, instead of having shepherds feeding sheep, the church is going to have clowns entertaining goats. It's like heavy, Lord. I, I do not want ever to find ourselves in that category. And so there's a charge for, there's a charge for me to be the, like Paul the Apostle who told the uh, you know, the elders of Ephesus at Miletus in the book of Acts, I did, not, I did not shun, I did not back away from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
thing at Tozer said, it's the whole Bible that makes a whole Christian. But there's a part that you and I also have. We, we don't want then to cheat ourselves by settling for sugary, uh, highly palatable sermonette niblets. Where it's, you know, a verse or two, and then they just launch off into stories and, and uh, pop, pop psychology and self-help and human philosophy. And, and now it seems that, you know, political ideology is all being mixed into that pot now. Gang, it, it is our individual responsibility to ensure that we are being fed and feeding ourselves with the pure milk of God's word. And then he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious or that the Lord is good. Now, in some of our Bibles, it, it tends to read because he uses the, it's translated as if, as though that's conditional. I want to suggest to you that it's not a conditional statement. It's a conclusive statement. That it could be read that since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Since you've had this personal experience, since you, you know these things, not just by mere somebody else telling you that it's good, but you yourself have partaken of this and you know this to be true. And the idea of tasting isn't like sampling. Like, praise the Lord, this COVID stuff's going away. We, you know, we, we, don't, we can take off our masks and that uh, free samples are starting to show back up in the grocery store. <laughs> We walk around and we kind of just sample little things. That's not the word he's using here. It's not, this is not like a, just a tasting of something. It, it speaks of, of personal experience and knowledge. Not just because somebody else told you, oh, that place is yummy. You go and you're like, oh, it is. It's not just the, the woman at the well who goes back and says, hey, I met this guy. I think he's the Messiah. He told me everything about him. Could he be the Christ? They go, they hear, and then they tell the lady, oh, we believe now, not just because you told us. It is to know for ourselves. And Peter knows that his readers came to faith when they heard the gospel. And he's already said, I know that you didn't see Jesus like I saw Jesus, and you still believe Jesus, and you still love Jesus, and you still obey Jesus. Since you've tasted for yourself, that God is good, that God is gracious. And since that is true, here's what I want to suggest to you that idea means. It's then in the word we experience the goodness of God for ourselves, not just once, but always. We don't need another experience. We don't need something else. It's not as though, oh, the word of God became our starting point. Now I'm going to go and do these other things. It's here and only here. We don't need to go anywhere else. Have you tasted and found Jesus to be good and gracious? Like Peter would ask us, do you got milk? And I pray the answer to that question for all of us is yes. And that we would leave today with just a renewed desire for the things of God. Listen, if the word of God is boring to you or it's a joyless burden, the very first place I would check is just, do you really know Jesus? 
Have you tasted that he's good? And if you would say yes, then my next question to me is then, what have you been eating? What have you been feeding your soul with? Because if we're still dabbling in these things and partaking of these things, then absolutely you're not going to have a desire for the things of God. Get rid of that. Confess that today, right now. All right. I'm going to beat the bell. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God that teaches us about the word of God. And I pray that, Lord, through your spirit, if there's junk in our life, there's things that we've been entertaining, things that we've been hiding, Lord, we, through your conviction, we confess it now. Forgive us, Lord. We leave that at the cross where it belongs. We acknowledge, we're honest with you, and we receive now, Lord, your forgiveness. Lord, along with that, we want to receive an empowering. Give us a great distaste and disdain for the things of the flesh. Lord, may it be disgusting to us. And God, cultivate in us, birth in us, stir in us a hunger and an appetite, a palate for the things of you. That we might find joy and goodness and satisfaction. Lord, contentment of our spirit as we pursue the word of God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.